What's up, friends? We are wrapping up a series that we started four weeks ago called Jonah, and we're looking at a story by the guy with the same name, Jonah, and it's a book in the Bible as well, and it's been a fun time of unpacking it because even though this gentleman lived several thousand years ago, there's a lot about him that reminds me of me, and I'm sure there's a lot about him that reminds you of you, whether that's hearing an invitation from God and saying, nah, I've got a different plan and running away from God wants what God wants for you or what God invites you into to love people, to connect with them really deeply, or whether it's learning to recalibrate our prayer life, connect it in a different fashion, not just prayer as a result, as a result of our circumstances, but prayer in preparation for God's will and what is to come, or taking advantage of a second chance. That's what we learned last week. And today, we're actually going to dive into the emotion of resentment. Yay! perfect. But there's a reason why. Resentment's one of those things that just kind of surfaces out of nowhere. Like maybe you can identify with this. Has somebody ever given you or demonstrated an act of kindness to you and instead of receiving it with gratitude and joy, you got angry? That's called resentment. That's called resentment and it bubbles up all over the place when we least expect it and it's an indicator that there's something going on inside of us that needs a little bit of a, a course correction. The first time that I can remember feeling this emotion, I was an older elementary aged kid. I think grade four, maybe grade five, so kind of around age 10. And I was sitting at my Uncle Don's house. And we were getting ready to, as a school, raise money for the Heart Foundation with Jump Rope for Heart. I don't know if you ever had that out here in eastern Canada. If you did, just give me a yeah. yeah. Oh, really? Okay, this is good. And that was one of my favorite things because I was really good at jump rope. And so I was all excited. I'm at my Uncle Don's house. He's a blood relative. He's going to sponsor me. And wouldn't you know, collected at his house that day because there's a whole a bunch of kids there for piano lessons that one of his daughters taught out of their home. One of them had the audacity to go and ask my uncle to sponsor them for jump rope for heart. And guess what he did? He sponsored them. I lost my mind. I couldn't understand. I was like, I'm your blood relative. Why wouldn't you sponsor me? And he's like, well, I'm going to sponsor you too. I was like, yeah, but you shouldn't sponsor them. You should just sponsor me. Like, I cried about it. Like, how silly is that? I didn't know it then, but I was resentful in that moment. I was frustrated. I was angry. I couldn't even fathom that my uncle would extend care and kindness to somebody that he wasn't related to. Seems weird, I know. But if you think about it, I'm sure each one of us can identify with that story because there's a story of our own that fits a similar framework where resentment takes root in our hearts and then something happens internally and it actually creates chaos instead of peace. This is exactly what is happening in the life of Jonah. Here's what's cool about the Jonah story. We can look at it. It's four chapters. It's amazing moments along the way. This is just a snapshot at this dude's life. Probably about two weeks worth of his life is written in these four chapters. 
and all of this up and down flavor happening in his world. So if you got your Bible with you, digital or analog form, Jonah chapter 4 is where we're headed. I'm going to read it in its entirety, then we're going to unpack three ideas around resentment from this text that we can learn from Jonah and hopefully not repeat the same challenges that he finds himself in. Verse 1 starts like this. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. The end of chapter 3 refers to what those change of plans were, where God told Jonah, deliver his message to Nineveh. Hey, I'm going to destroy you because you're crazy and you're evil. They hear the message. They repent. God changes his mind, changes his plans. So now Jonah's like, these change of plans, they upset him. It's called resentment. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. Wow, okay? The Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? That is a great question. Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. And the Lord arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant, but God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away, and as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Well, yes, Jonah retorted. Even angry enough to die, then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it, in, to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly, but Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? This is one of my most favorite conversations that God has with an individual in the entirety of Scripture because it is real. Because I can see myself asking some of those similar questions, right? You might read this and be like, oh my goodness, this is like Jesus talking to or God talking to like a, a, a toddler trying to reason with them. And guess what? Sometimes that's exactly the way we are. We're trying to reason our, our way and rationalize our way, our thoughts, our emotions, our challenges with God who is all-knowing, who is perfect, who is slow to anger. So what I want to do is I want to unpack three different things for us from this particular chapter as it refers to resentment or this negative emotion that could bubble up inside of us. The first thing is this. Resentment breeds malcontent. Resentment breeds malcontent. Now malcontent is different than the word discontent. Discontent is, hey, we're a little bit agitated. 
we're a little bit uncomfortable, and we don't appreciate our surroundings. Malcontent is when we become malicious and even rebellious in the circumstances that we find ourselves in. We are so ungrateful that we've moved from discontent to malcontent. We now start speaking against the circumstances that we find ourselves in. This is exactly what's happening in the life of Jonah, right? Chapter 4 starts out saying, you know, Jonah is upset that God has changed his mind. He is not going to destroy the city. He's frustrated to the point where he's saying to God, this is why I didn't want to do this in the first place because I knew you were slow to anger and you were compassionate, and I don't like that. The same dude, okay, that in chapter 1 and chapter 2 of this story finds himself in the belly of a fish because he was thrown overboard for being disobedient to God and putting others at risk for his disobedience, and that God saved him from death by allowing him to land in the belly of a fish for three days. This same guy is now frustrated that somebody else is experiencing the grace, the mercy, and the compassion of God. I want you to think about the person in your life or the people in your life who have treated you poorly. Those people are loved by God just as much as you do. You are. And those people are undeserving of God's grace just like you are undeserving of God's grace. That is something to chew on for a bit. See, what happens when resentment takes residence in our souls is it breeds malcontent. And malcontent forces us to create this hierarchy of who is lovable by Jesus and who is unlovable by Jesus. We create this connection and we say, well, these people, they've got to be in. And those people, whoa, they have got to be out. They voted for that political party. Well, they definitely do not know who Jesus is. This is what we do. Resentment only breeds one thing, and that's malcontent. An absolute defiance, an absolute visceral response to the situation that we find ourselves in. We get to the point where all we can see is negative. And we're filled with rage and frustration and so many other negative emotions. We miss God at work when we are filled with resentment and malcontent. Jonah could not even see how amazing that God's heart was being completely changed for a group of 120,000 individuals who are stuck in spiritual darkness. He's having compassion on them, pouring out his kindness instead of destroying them. And he couldn't even see the miracle in that because resentment had burrowed its way into his very soul. That's what happens when we become emotionally instable and unhealthy and allow those things to shape the way we see the world. I wish that Jonah would have had somebody in his life that could have pulled him aside and said, dude, are you think you're reacting a little bit too aggressively in the moment? 
Growing up in a family, as a Frizzell kid, in a family that's large is pretty awesome right now because as a parent, I have six other people that tell me when I'm doing something wrong. It's awesome. I do not get away with any sort of malcontent. I love the way that Jesus has wired my kids, that they have the courage and the boldness to speak their minds, and yet yeah, frustrating. Because when I say something, they, come on, they, they, they kind of bump up against that, and they're like, hey, Dad, I don't know if you're meaning to send, say it with the, the intensity that's coming across. Would you use kinder words? And I'm like, really? Come on. Just clean your room, okay? That's what I'm asking. This, again, is a value of being connected in a community. In isolation, resentment grows, and it manifests, and it becomes an indestructible force that creates chaos in our world to the point where Jonah is unable to even recognize the hand of God moving We need to be connected with people who have the the courage and the bravado to say to us in season and in step, I think you need to tone it down just a little bit. You seem off today. And it's more than having a bad hair day. Resentment breeds malcontent. And if we get to the stage where malcontent is, is our modus operandi, our default setting, we are going to miss out on so much of what God is doing right in our midst. But Jonah, he doesn't get that. He doesn't see it. He's frustrated. So he leaves the city and he goes to the east side of the city, camping out, waiting to see what God's going to do, hoping, praying, and believing that destruction is going to come. Resentment breeds malcontent, but then here's the other thing that happens. Malcontent breeds folly. Malcontent breeds folly. Folly isn't a word we use in in abundance in our, our world today, but folly essentially means this, a dumb idea. You could say it like this, malcontent breeds stupidity. When you're so wrapped up in your your negative mindset and heart scent, what you're going to end up doing is just dumb things. And this is exactly what we see in the life of Jonah. First of all, he storms off in a tantrum, okay, going to the east side of the city in the hill area, waiting for the destruction to come, even though God has already changed his mind. He's still believing God is going to destroy the city. Not only that, but as this, you know, the, 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 the environmental elements of nature take over and the scorching heat and all that stuff comes, he's getting more and more frustrated. He's like, oh, I should just die. God allows a plant to grow, gives him shade momentarily. Then that plant dies because a worm was created to eat that plant, and he gets frustrated once again to the point where he has the audacity the audacity to be really, really kind of, uh, this is my, fun, my favorite part of the story, really, really kind of bold in a negative way to God. 
Favorite question, verse verse 9 of chapter 4. God says this to Jonah. Is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? And Jonah fires, yes. Yes, it's right for me to be angry. And isn't that the case? We are always looking to justify our anger in some way. Yes, it's right for me to be angry. Yes, it's right for me to be bitter. That person, they did this to me. Yes, it's right for me to hold a grudge. Yes, it's right for me to be resentful. Yes, it's right for me to dislike the church, the bride of Christ. Yes, it's right for me to dislike that whole community because they vote for a different political party. Yes, it's right for me to dislike them because their sexuality is different than mine. Yes, it's right for me to this. Are you kidding me? Resentment breeds folly, stupidity. That's what happens. When we don't deal with that emotion inside of us, when we don't understand that framework, yes, we need to feel what we need to feel, but then we need to be given freedom from what we're feeling when it is impeding our well-being of life right now. There is no way this situation called for the expression or the big emotion that we see in Jonah where he is so frustrated that he'd rather die than suffer a few hours because this plant that was giving him shade is no longer alive. That's a bridge too far, okay? How do I recognize, Jason, when there's something inside me that's going wrong? If you react like this in a situation, there's something wrong inside you. This is where, again, that community would have been amazing to be surrounding Jonah and say, dude, I think you should go see a counselor. Because this is a bit too far. Imagine for a moment that you have a plant growing in your home, a rose bush. And it's blooming in season and out of season. And one day, it just stops blooming. And you come downstairs and you're like, my plant, my plant. And you fall apart in that moment. Whether your anger and your rage take over or you just can't stop crying. That's an indicator that something inside of us is misaligned and maybe even malformed. And that's a moment where we have got to reach out for help. And the crazy thing is, Jonah could have done that. But instead of reaching out for help, he refuses and and it becomes further entrenched in his folly, in his stupidity. The lesson that we can learn from Jonah is don't be silly. Don't be dumb. When something's broken... Go to the one that can fix it. Spending time with the Heavenly Father. And when you're like, oh, but there's something else. Go see somebody that can help you process what you're going through. One of my greatest fears as a pastor is when people say, hey, I don't need to go see anybody. I'm talking to my friends and family about it. I love that you're talking to your friends and family. But if you've suffered trauma of any kind, you're going to need some professional help. And that's an okay thing. 
Like imagine for a moment that I required surgery. Daniel's going to be a dad for the very first time. Isn't that awesome? Now, Daniel doesn't know anything about medical science. And so if I said to Daniel, Daniel, I require surgery. How about you and I meet up for coffee and you perform the surgery that is needed? He's going to look at me and go like, wait a minute, you're giving me permission to cut you on purpose. Fantastic. That's what he's thinking, but then he'll also go, wait a minute, I probably wouldn't be able to sustain his life, so therefore, if I participated in this, they could go a whole number of wrong different directions. I should refrain from doing so. If he's in his right frame of mind, he's going to look at me and say, dude, go to a surgeon. I can't do surgery. Go to a surgeon. The problem is, when we're so filled with resentment, Stupidity becomes our default setting, folly. And so we'll make poor decision after poor decision after poor decision, all trying to satiate the pain that we're in in the moment, and none of it leads us anywhere positive. When we don't deal with the resentment that's invaded our hearts, we end up living foolish lives filled with greater pain than we can imagine. To the point where we are wanting to end our existence over the smallest of things, just like Jonah. End our existence because a plant died. Resentment breeds malcontent, and malcontent breeds folly. But here's the good news. See, forgiveness is the antidote to malcontent and the resistor of folly. Forgiveness is the antidote to malcontent and the resistor of folly. Stick with me for a moment here. My Uncle Don, at the story I told at the outset of this talk, did nothing wrong, and yet I still needed to practice forgiveness. I needed to forgive him for something that he inflicted on me without him doing anything wrong. And if we're honest, so many of us have to do this thing when it comes to the whole reality of believing in God. Theologically, God has never done anything wrong. He is always right. He is always perfect. He always does the best thing possible. And yet... You and I can still feel slighted, abandoned, confused, frustrated, and even angered by him. It's crazy. And so what we do is we, we think that, we think that there's something wrong with us, and that is true. There is something wrong with us that only God can heal. But instead of confronting God with those questions and those frustrations, we ignore them because It's not spiritual if we question God's character. But what if that's the very thing that he's asking us to do? God here in this story, Jonah asks really dumb questions and yet he doesn't make him instantaneously incinerate into nothing. He's patient and gentle and kind with him and tolerates his folly, his stupidity. And these questions. 
And it seems really simple and it seems really crazy, but that is a step in the process of what forgiveness looks like. It's actually forgiving people that have done something to you that they might be unaware of. And in some cases, the thing that they did was entirely fine. It was right. Like a Walmart greeter. You walk in on Walmart, and sometimes they say hello to you. And sometimes they say hello and then ask you how your day's doing. How dare they ask you two questions? And we can laugh and we can jest, but that greeter has done nothing wrong. They're doing their job, trying to create a space of welcome. Heaven forbid they do that. Sometimes that's what we do. Somebody has said or done something innocently, and yet we still need to forgive. I'm not talking about the times where people have done something intentionally and they know it's wrong. That requires forgiveness too, but that's a whole other conversation. I'm talking about the times where we feel slighted or frustrated by people and they haven't done anything wrong. Like my Uncle Don. He didn't do anything wrong. He invested in people wanting to make sure that this other individual knew that they were supported and cared for in this jump rope for heart thing. I literally had to have a conversation with him about six or seven years later. And he, he didn't even remember the moment. He's like, what are you talking about? Like, do you remember the time? He's like, no. I don't know. What do you mean do you remember the time? I can't even remember yesterday. Like, and this moment that was so catalytic for me lost its power instantly. Because it got put in its right place. Because I learned that forgiveness is the antidote for that malcontent. And the resistor of folly. When we can forgive, it allows us to resist living foolishly. Making poor decisions based on the emotional pain that we're continuing to harbor. But it starts with forgiveness. And I think that's the hardest thing for us to learn while we're here on earth in in our human existence form. This idea of forgiveness. Forgiveness doesn't mean that we forget. But forgiveness is that we're willing to move forward based on different parameters. And I can't help but wonder that maybe... Maybe here today, that's where some of us kind of land when, we, when it comes to our relational connection with God. Where there's been something that he has done or said or even written in the Bible that, that doesn't sit well with us for some reason. Maybe it's confusing. Maybe we think it's an expression of a dual nature that's contradictory to all the stuff that we've heard in church growing up or in in different various conversations or studies that we've been a part of. And we don't know how to process that. And so we sit in this uncomfortable space and we're we're trying to make sure that we at least keep up appearances. Like we're we're sort of connected in a relationship with them, but yet disconnected and, and confused. And when it's convenient, we'll pull it out and be like, yeah, 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 I'm following God. But then in other spaces, we're like, nah, I don't know if that's the right thing here. Like we just live in this limbo space. 
I think part of it's because we haven't learned to forgive and then move forward based on those new parameters. And sometimes that forgiveness happens to be an internal thing where we've got to forgive ourselves for making a decision that we're not proud of or for participating in an activity that we wish we wouldn't have or this or that or the other. And that's a part of this whole resentment thing. Sometimes we resent God, but sometimes we resent ourselves, not just others. How could I be so foolish to have said that? If I was an author, I could sell an innumerable amount of books about all the foolish things that I've said, okay? If you're a human being, and if you speak at all, or write at all, or communicate in any way, you're going to say dumb things. It's a part of being human. So how do we move from a space where we are living that is more shackled and restrained to a space of freedom? Well, that's embracing forgiveness. Expressing that forgiveness to God, expressing that forgiveness to ourselves, expressing that forgiveness to others. And some variations of one of the most well-known prayers in the Bible It says this, forgive us like we forgive those who trespass against us. It always kind of reminds me, it's a sobering thought. What if God's forgiveness was conditional like my forgiveness is traditionally conditional? Like what if God is asking us to perform before he forgives To make right before he forgives. It's important for us to understand that forgiveness and and justice are actually two separate things. And sometimes we need to participate in the act of forgiving so that we can have freedom on an emotional level and a practical level while still pursuing what is right in terms of justice. I just wish Jonah would have had the privilege that you and I have of being surrounded and connected with a group of people who can point these things out to us when they start to surface in our lives. Because I wonder if his story would finish different rather than this cliffhanger where God says, hey, why are you so upset about a plant? Shouldn't I be just as passionate about 120,000 people who would have been destroyed but are now turning their lives to me. Shouldn't I care about that? But that's the problem when resentment takes root in us. It just breeds malcontent, and malcontent breeds folly. And unless we embrace and move towards and immerse ourselves in the practice and habit of forgiveness we will be stuck in that space and in that emotion. And what will happen is our lives and the quality of them will be directly impacted. And it's not only our life, it's the lives of the people around us because when malcontent breeds folly, what it means is that multiplies into the lives of people that we're connected to. 
one expression the Bible talks about is slander. Like when you were angry at somebody, some of us at times will start talking to somebody else about the person we're mad at and everything we dislike about that person. That's a sign that resentment has started to take root in us. And now what we're trying to do is kill and destroy that person's reputation in their community because we feel wronged and slighted in some way. Forgiveness, it's the antidote for resentment and the resistor of folly. I think that's the take-home lesson for us, if we call it that, from the life of Jonah. And so as we start to wrap up this series here today and our service time together, I want to invite you into something. We are going to have the opportunity to share a communal prayer with one another. What that's going to look like is on the screen, there's going to be words that are written, and we're literally going to recite this with one another if you would choose to participate. Now, maybe you're in that space of like, Jason, I understand this whole resentment thing. I get it. I feel it. I think I'm in that space, but I'm not ready yet to move towards forgiveness. I can get that. I can understand that. My encouragement to you is this. Put a timeline on it. Put a timeline on it. Because here's the thing, right? We all can say like, ooh, I wish I could lose 10 pounds. When is that going to happen? When is that going to happen? How are you going to make steps to move towards that? Is it going to happen instantaneously overnight? Wow, look at that. I slept and I'm down 10 pounds. Woo! Right? Some of the pregnant ladies in this space are like, well, in a few months, I'm going to be losing 10 pounds. Woo! Okay, not all of us have the privilege of that, okay? Some of us have to make steps towards it. We have to make steps away from the Cheetos, okay? Move towards the grapes. Making wiser decisions. It's the same thing when it comes to our emotional pain. We can move towards it and embrace it and nurture it like our precious. Or we can make steps towards healing and forgiveness. By first taking it to Jesus And then at times, inviting those professionals that can coach us into health along the way to walk alongside of us. And so in this prayer, it's just that posture of like, here's my my day one starting phase. This is my foundation for whatever remnants of resentment exist in me. Jesus, I want to start here and I want to start healing. And maybe you're in this space going like, Jason, I don't know about resentment. Okay, that's fine. That's great. I'm glad you don't harbor any in your heart. But maybe one day you will. And maybe you will be drawn back to this moment and this time and this prayer. And it will be helpful in season. Or maybe you'll be an advocate for somebody else that's in that space that you can invite into healing and experience freedom from their own resentment as a result of this activity. So that's the why, friends. It's because we believe that there is true freedom, true freedom in Christ from all of the burdens and the pains that exist. Some of them take hard work and some of them are instantaneously relieved. And our God is mighty to save us from both. So as we get ready to wrap up, This time here 
in this moment, would you stand with me if you are able? And then if you are willing, participant, all I'm going to ask you to do is recite this along with me. And if you are unwilling, that's okay, right? You're standing and people are going to be thinking you're participating, so you're covered, okay? But we're just going to read this together in a prayer-filled posture. If it's helpful for you, however you pray, if it's your hands together, if it's your hands open, whatever you feel helps you exhibit this type of prayer to the best of your ability, please feel the freedom to do that. If you're closing your eyes, you're going to have a hard time reading along with this, but that's okay. You can let the words wash over you and claim them in your heart as your own. Let us pray together. O Lord my God, you are my shepherd. You guide me and provide for me. When I start to feel resentment due to the circumstances around me, remind me that you have prepared a table for me and you can give me peace. Your anointing and blessings are upon every aspect of my life. Remove my resentment and set me free from frustration. May your goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Father, that is our heart's cry. We want to be a group of women and men that are known for our stability and not instability. Not because we want to build our own reputation. No, 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 no. Because we want our lives to point to you. And so in the, the chaos that can surround us at times, the emotional pain that we can carry, whether that we feel we have felt or we do feel abandoned, abused, neglected by, by men or by you or by women or by friends or by whomever. Jesus, here today, would you allow us the privilege of stepping into wholeness and healing so that we can multiply who we are, that malcontent would no longer breed folly in our lives, that our pain would no longer breed chaos internally or externally around us, and that when the storms and the other turbulent moments come, that we would be able to stand strong in the midst of them, knowing that you are a God who never abandons, never forsakes, never neglects, never walks away from us, instead embraces us. In all of our ludicrous questions, and in all of our insane thoughts and feelings, you are present there and desire to walk with us. And for that, I just say thank you. Over these next moments, Father, as our worship team sings this song over our community, may the freedom of your Holy Spirit reign and unlock any dormant elements of our souls that we have carved off and separated from you. Father, I pray for peace and for kindness, for mercy and for grace in abundance. In Jesus' name, amen. Your choice, friends, whether you want to stay standing or grab a seat. Our worship team is going to sing this song from the book of Jonah over us. It is powerful. 
And so I invite you to take a posture of receptivity and allow the presence of God to minister to you in these next few moments.